0: CJ mentioned this 15th anniversary of our church. Our church actually launched on September 21st, uh, 2008. Do you remember the 21st of September? Yeah, love was changing the hearts of pretenders while chasing the clouds away. I, I was there. Were you there that night? I remember. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we're excited about it. I was telling my my kids this week, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's the 15th anniversary of our church. Like, it's happening this week. And uh, I was telling Amon, um, and and I said to him, we're 15 now. He's like, oh, okay, and I said, that means, you know, we can get our learner's permit as a church, and, and he goes, we can also be legally tried as an adult, and I was like, well, <laughs> there's that, so it got dark there very quickly, but... um Yeah, so we're excited. Uh, We're excited to keep talking about Jesus, because we've been doing that 15 years, and we plan on continuing to do that, and and, and the faith. And uh, the Christian faith, as a thing that we believe and teach and follow, uh, it's unusual, because it asks you to believe some really wild things. Like, if you think about it, if you crack open a Bible and just start reading, you're going to run into some stuff. And it, and it starts very quickly in the Bible. You read that this, you're, you're asked to believe that this creator God spoke the universe into existence. That's a lot to swallow, right? There's this unseen deity that, like, spoke the universe into existence. Because, you know, I haven't been to all of it yet, but there, I hear there's a lot of universe out there. And... Um, the idea that he just spoke that into existence, that's 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 a lot to believe. Even if you want so but even if you want to follow like the evolutionary story of that they tell you in, in school or whatever, and you want to go that route and you even if you want to say, well, God made that, okay, fine. He made this process of a big bang or whatever, there's still a lot you run into that's very hard to swallow as a as a modern American, right? You you read the scripture and you read that God spoke to Moses through this burning bush that didn't really burn up when he was speaking audibly. And that's, that's hard to swallow, right? And then, you know, God parts the Red Sea using Moses' staff and the, you know, the power and the, all this. Like, that stuff is hard to believe. And it's hard for us as uh, scientifically informed 21st century post-enlightenment modern Western Americans. Like, that's just the world we live in, and it's hard to believe that stuff. And in the ancient world, in in the Roman Empire, let's say in the first century, the average Roman citizen might have had an easier time with maybe miracles or or an easier time with the spiritual world because they were used to thinking in terms of, well, there's the land, the, the realm of the gods, And then there's the realm of the mortals, right? And they don't really, they're not really connected. The gods do their things, Zeus and Apollo and all that. And then us mere mortals are like playthings for the gods, but they don't really, they don't mess with us too much. You know, we're not, we're not too connected. They were used to thinking that way, but the thing the Romans would have struggled with, which I think we also struggle with in some ways, is the idea in Christianity that the all creator, all, all, all powerful creator God becomes human. Like he bridges that gap and actually becomes uh, and becomes just like like one of us. That would have been difficult uh, for them to swallow this idea that God becomes flesh, and yet that's exactly what Christianity says, and is what makes it so unusual. Is we're not saying God is off there and so distant and somewhere else. We're saying no, He actually comes here and and becomes one of us and 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 walks on our soil. There's this humanity to that that God takes on, and it's pretty profound. The, the gospel writers, when they write about Jesus, uh, several of them, Matthew and Luke in particular, they write about baby Jesus. We'll talk about that at Christmas. They write about Joseph and Mary and all those stories you've heard at Christmas. John does not start his writings about Jesus that way, because I, I guess he figured Matthew and Luke had already covered it. When John starts talking about Jesus coming to earth, he goes to this philosophical idea. At, let me read it to you. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how it starts. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's talking about Jesus. He's going to introduce Jesus throughout this whole book. He's talking about Jesus and refers to him as the word, or in Greek, this idea of the logos, which was this idea, a philosophical idea, not just a person. He's not just introducing a person. He's saying... Jesus is the answer, capital A, to the big question of, of the Greek world or of life, purpose and meaning and all of that. He's saying right at the beginning, Jesus is not just a person, but he is the philosophical answer to everything you've been thinking about, worrying about, concerned about. Jesus is, is him. He's, he's, he's that dude. He's God in, in the flesh. Um, and, and he's not just uh, a concept, because that sounds very conceptual. He's the Word, and the Word was with him, and the Word, all this. He's also very physical. John one fourteen further down, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is often preached at Christmas, but it, this is the, the setup here is, look, uh Jesus, this word, this answer, this meaning of life—God has come to earth in the flesh, in physical form, so that we can, uh, so that we can, we can know Him. And it's, uh, it's, it's stunning—the idea that God becomes a person. Maybe it's not stunning to you. Maybe you've heard it before. And you're like, nah, eh, yeah, okay, I've heard that story before. But it is stunning. Even We can sing songs about it, you know, what if God was one of us, and we're like, oh, that's clever. Or we can, we can make movies about angels becoming people and starting to date the people and all that kind of thing. And we can do all of that, like, cute stuff. But, but don't miss this. This is the real thing that happened in the real world. The creator of all of this said, I'm, I'm going to be there with them. And, and joined us and became one of us and shows us what it truly means to be human in the form of Jesus. Now, that would have been shocking to the Roman world, that God is in the flesh like that. Um, and, and actually, maybe because it's shocking, I think the New Testament writers emphasize it. They're like, yeah, no, yeah, this is, this is what actually happened. Paul writes about it, Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter two, verse nine. He says this about Jesus, "For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So all the God stuff, all the power of God, all of it, dwells in, in a body, it in bodily, in the flesh of, of Jesus. That's crazy. This isn't metaphysical. This isn't like, oh, but there is a spiritual force, and it exists in the spiritual realm. And, it, and they're like he goes, no, no, all the God stuff is bodily. <laughs> it is happening in in, in the body of a, 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 an actual flesh and blood purpose person. And we get we get um, blown away by the by the deity stuff of Jesus. You know, we we go like, man, you read these stories about Jesus in the gospels and you're like, "Oh, he can heal people. That's crazy. I wish I could do that, you know, like put a hand on someone and physically heal them." And, or, or he can he can uh, you know, basically cast out demons of people. Well, that would be useful if I knew anybody with demons, like I would want to cast them out. That would be good. He can walk on water. I don't I don't always want to be under the water. It'd be cool if I could be you know, on the water, like that would be cool too if I could walk to the boat or whatever. Like, like I don't know, maybe boats are irrelevant at that point. I don't know how it works, but I'm just saying, he, so we get enamored with the things that seem like the God stuff of Jesus. But have you ever thought about the, the, the humanity stuff of God being in the flesh? Like, that's crazy too if you think about it. I mean, don't miss that. Jesus was physical. He had a body. And all of the aches and pains and the frustrations and the disappointments that come along with having, being trapped in this thing, right? He, he knows what that feels like to, to, have, to have a body. It means he, he probably got the flu. That's not good, right? He probably stubbed his toe at some point. Maybe he said his own name when he did it. I don't know. But, but he, he, things I think about late at night. Uh, you know, he stubbed his toe. He, he, he got worn out. He had, you know, he, he got up one morning and was like, ugh, oh, again? Like, I don't know. If, did they have mirrors back then? I don't know. A reflection in a pool? I don't know. He sees himself. He's like, oh I look, I look worn out. You know, like he had that physical stuff. Um, and, and this means in addition to that, he experienced the things in the body that we experience. He experienced disappointment. And, and betrayal, and, um, you know, all of that stuff. And you can read about this in the Gospels, and it, it really is surprising when you think, oh, he's God, how did he handle? Because there's just stuff. Like, in John chapter 2, he, uh, his mother comes to him, he's at a wedding, and his mother says, could you please do something? Um, the, the, we're running out of wine for this wedding. And Jesus takes the water that was there and he turns it into wine and then they serve that and everybody drinks that and they're like, this is the best wine ever. Um, That's crazy. From a, from a sort of chemistry physics perspective, very physical, he alters the properties of water to make it fermented grape juice. That's crazy, right? That's a God thing though. You go, oh God. He also knows what it's like to have your mother on your case. Like he experienced that too, right? Like he, he, that's real. She's like, okay, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll handle that too. You know, like he, he's experienced those very normal things. He, he, gets, he gets overwhelmed. Sometimes the world is a little too people-y. And it's a little too people for Jesus at times. You see him get away from crowds to intentionally withdraw from all the masses of people that want to roll up on him all the time. And so he gets overwhelmed and, 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 and pulls away. Um, He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Judas betrays him. One of his closest friends will betray him for 30 pieces of silver and deliver him up to be Crucified. Even the friends who didn't betray him, in his hour of need, we talked about this last week, in the hour of need, right before he's about to be crucified, he says to them, Can you guys just stay awake with me and let's pray? And they just fall asleep. So there's betrayal, and then there's friends that really kind of want to be there, but they just don't have the stamina to kind of hang with you in that moment, right? So Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, to be, if not betrayed, Pretty disappointed and let down by some friends who you thought were going to be there for you, right like he understands that um, he understands the pain of losing a friend. John chapter eleven talks about he he 's going to visit Mary and Martha and, and his friend Lazarus, and he finds out word that Lazarus has died, and you see this in John eleven uh, and and as he approaches everybody 's weeping because this is one of jesus close friends he's died and um and and you get this crazy verse in in John eleven thirty five where it says that Jesus wept, and I think that's crazy because he's in just a few moments going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. So you've got Jesus crying because his one of his good friends is dead, even though he knows. Well, I'll just bring him back. I mean, it's just a temporary setback, really. I'm just going to bring him back to life. Um, and I think that's wild. And I've and I've thought about that, and I'm like, why would he? I mean, why cry about that? Like, you know you're going to bring him right back. You should have been like, you know, if people are crying like Lazarus is dead, you know, you'd think if you were Jesus, you would be like, oh, but wait, guys, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) Watch this. And then, bam, he's back, right? But he cries when his best friend dies. Why? Well, because Jesus is not a brain walking around on on a stick. He is an embodied, he is a person. And when you lose someone close to you, it's not just a mental thing. It's, it's in the gut too, right? Like you feel it in the depths of you. It's a, it's a full body experience. And that's why he cries because he feels it on all the levels. Jesus experienced all that stuff. And this is why one of the later writers in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews, uh describes Jesus, and describes Jesus as a high priest. He refers to him as a high priest, but listen to what he says. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now that gets, that's some spiritual language there, right? He's passed through the heavens. And you're like, what is he talking about? Passed through the heavens. You know, okay, we, because Jesus passed through the heavens, we should hold our confession. But I want you to get, the, especially the second part of that. He says, we don't have someone who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's talking about Jesus. This is not a Jesus who just doesn't get you. This is one who understands what it's like to be betrayed, to, to lose a friend, to hurt, to be worn out, to be just tired of it, to, to, to feel in the body like this isn't working for me anymore. This is how Jesus was, and he was tempted like we are, but he never gave in to the temptation, and, and, and therefore he was without sin. So Jesus knows what it feels like to fear. He knows what it feels like when the anxiety wells up. He's been through those things, but he he didn't let any of that lead him to sin. So, what can we learn about that? What can we learn from this? A couple ideas. Number one, he gets us. He gets us. How many of you have seen the commercials, he gets us? They were on at the Super Bowl, right? I have um, mixed feelings about those. But... um, because there's some commercial, and it'll be like um, maybe showing an immigrant community or um, people on the streets or some so just some challenges of, of life. And, and they're basically saying, um, Jesus was like this too. He understands what it was like to be left and persecuted and oppressed and betrayed. He's like us. He gets us. And I actually think, you know, I might want to nuance it some way or whatever, but I think overall the point is really good. He, he gets us. Um, the creator of the universe understands the people things that we, the humanity things that we, that we go through. Um, he doesn't, he's not like um, a God who would be far off, who might look at you and go like, oh, that sucks for you over there. <laughs> yeah, I bet living on earth is rough. He's a God who goes, I'm going to go do it as well and experience it. And when he says or when he can say to us, I, I understand your pain, it's because he literally understands your pain. He's been through it as a, like as a fellow traveler, not just as someone who read about it in a book or something like that. Like he's experienced, he actually Gets us. He knows what it's like to be homeless, to be persecuted, to be betrayed. Um, so I, I, I think the body of Jesus, the fact that he's physical, should should tell us that at least that he gets us. Like, and I think there can actually be a lot of uh, a lot of comfort in that if you really let the truth of that sink in. Like, I'm not worshiping someone or honoring God here. I'm not honoring someone who's far off, but it's actually someone who gets me. Um, That's profound. I think there's some other implications to consider. Um, Jesus dies in his body, physically dies, and comes back from the dead. Um, That is the heart of the Christian message. So that is a big deal to what we celebrate here. We celebrate this actually in communion on some level every week, but he dies and he comes back together, uh, comes back uh, from the dead. And when he does, when he comes back, his disciples, this is a really interesting account, his disciples gather up together because Jesus gets crucified publicly. It's a big scene in Jerusalem, and they kind of scatter a bit, and then they come together, you know, and I can kind of picture it. I've been to Jerusalem, so I can really picture what it looked like of, like, where they would have gathered. So they come together, and they're like, okay what is going on here, you know? And, and it, it, they're, they're trying to process that Jesus died, and then maybe they're hearing, they heard rumors, they hear like, oh, he's back from the dead, and they're like, what? Like, this is crazy. These women that were connected to, they went to the tomb, they, he wasn't there, he's gone, his body's gone, like, I don't get it right. Um, Luke 24, this is, uh, uh, the, the, this gathering, listen to this. And they were talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, I don't know if it's, like, just because the doors were locked and, like, suddenly he's there. He just, like, appears. Because it, it, it's almost kind of worded that way. Like, they're talking and then suddenly there's Jesus. Like, and, um, was anybody, like, who let him in? Like, what, how did he, was he with you? Did, how did he get in? You know, like, it's, it's a weird thing. And it tells us that they thought they, like, Okay, this is a ghost. Because their framework is, there's no way this is physically happening, right, in the body. Like we know Jesus. we know Jesus was real. We hung out with him for years, like he ate and we all hung out together. We know he's real, but he, we also know he really died because we saw that. And now he's here, and they think we must be seeing a ghost. Like this is crazy, right? And that makes sense. Well, listen to what happens next. Verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because that's where he had been crucified, through his hands and through his feet. So there's holes there or scars or whatever. And while they... I love this line. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. What a physical thing is going on here. They're like, I think we're seeing a ghost. And he says, guys, you can touch my hand. Look at, look at where I, like, touch me and see. I am very flesh and blood. Blood, bone, real in front of you, um, and 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 almost to prove that he's like actually I'm a little hungry. Like, do you have anything? Like, I mean, to be fair, kicking death in the face makes a man hungry, right? Like, you get a little. You're like, I kicked death in the face and I came back from the dead. Like, I just need a. Do you have, can I have a quick bite? You know, like. But there's such a weird little detail that Luke includes. To me, it adds to the validity validity of the account of it. It's like. Well, he comes back and he's like, actually, I'm a little bit hungry. But it also shows them, no, no, this is a physical thing. I'm not a spirit who doesn't need to eat. I need some food. Do you have any food? And they get food. And, and like I said, I love this, this verse because it says they, they disbelieved for joy and they were marveling at him. And I read that a couple of times. I'm like, disbelieve for joy? Marvel, like, what does that mean? But if you think about it, it does make sense. Um have you ever experienced something so good that you can't believe it's real? I mean, that's that, right? It's disbelief for joy. They're, they're basically like, this is, there's no way this, is this real? Is this actually happening? Like, this is incredible. Some of their disbelief just comes from the fact like this is almost too good to be true. And I think that's what they were experiencing. And he's like, no, no, it's, I'm, I'm here. (laughs) This is real. Give me some fish. And, and, and so they have this encounter. And so, um, This is after he's died. You know, he comes back from the dead and he's very physical, which tells me this about our bodies and about us today. Number two, even after the resurrection, we will have a physical body. There's sort of this weird belief in Christendom or like anytime um, sort of, in anything sort of Christianity adjacent, you know, people are like, oh, they died and they became an angel. The Bible never says we become angels. That's weird. They're a whole different group. Uh, They got their thing. What it does say is that because most people don't want to sign up for that. They're like, that's weird. I don't want to, I don't play harp. I don't, I don't want to do the angel thing because I don't know, we think they all play harps. They're usually smoking people. Like, they're usually pretty, a little more aggressive than playing harp in the Bible when you see them. But that's another conversation for another time. Because I've said this to you before. Everybody, when they see an angel is terrified. It's not because of the harp playing, I promise you. No, they're not like, show, they're like, this guy showed up with a harp and I was freaked out. It's not that. Um, so, I'm way off. Let me, let me come back to it. <laughs> Jesus is very, uh, shows up very physically, and, um, and, and, and this is our future also. He's the firstborn of many. He's the first one to do this, to die, to come back from the dead. And when he comes back from the dead, it's in a body. It is not a spirit floating around. That is not our, our future. What does this mean about our bodies? This whole series has been about the body, right? What does this mean about our bodies? Well, one thing it means is this. This body that you have, it's not the last one. It's just the first one. Think of it like a rough draft. And some of you are like, it's pretty rough. Like, <laughs> I, I, I get it, right? You're like, oh, there's, uh, cross that part out, you know, like whatever. Like, um, it, 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 it's, it's not the end, it's the beginning, of, of an embodied existence, right? Um, we've been given a body, and, and when we die, um, there's another body that's, that's coming for us. Um, now, that doesn't mean, because this is the first draft, it doesn't mean we should trash it. Well, there's good work here. There's, there's, your body is given to you by God as a blessing, and it is on purpose. We should care for it. We should care for our bodies. Don't disdain the body that you have. But you can also have some hope because eventually something better is coming. There's there's a world, there's a future in paradise, which is always described in the New Testament in very physical terms, like of a city and a river and trees and all this stuff. Um, and it's a very physical thing. And, and you're going to have a body there too in the future, in eternity. And it's going to be better than the one you have. I don't, I, I, the older I get, the better that news sounds, you know, like, hey, okay, uh, Oh, this is going to get better. That's good. Uh, I'm holding out hope that the body I have in heaven can dance because this one can't. Um, so, if we're all in heaven one day and you're looking for me, if there's a dancing section, that's where I will be, and you will see me strut what I don't have right now. Um, I will be trying to trying to make that work um, because we're going to get a new body that won't that that won't necessarily grow weary or tired, um, and and that could be. Uh, an, an, incredible, an an incredible thing. Um, so that's, that is uh, Christianity 101, that we have um, fallen from God, we are sinners, and Christ dies for our sins, and, um, and he comes back from the dead in physical form, and we will do so also. but there 's a catch. there 's a way into this whole process. Um, that I that I want to that I want to tell you about. Because to have that to have that physical body in eternity with God in paradise, where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, to have that, um, that's going to require something of us. Um, and I, I would say I would say it first this way: You're going to first have to want God, and you got to want to follow Him. Um, if you don't want God and you don't want to follow Him, He'll 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 give you what you want, like you, you okay. You don't, you don't have to, um, but you're going to have to want this first. All the other things aside about how do I receive salvation and all that, I would start with, what do you want? Let's just start there. Do you want God or not? And there are going to be people that are separated eternally from God. Uh, there's heaven and hell, right? There's going to be a separation. And the people who are separated from God do not want God. And I don't know who that is. I don't know their names. I don't know if it's your Cousin, friend, my friend, brother, whatever. like I, I, I am not the judge of anybody's heart. I just know that there are people that aren't going to want him and are going to walk away from him, and you probably know people like that too. And so my question first, before we get into any other details of this: do you really want God? Not do you want the benefits of, well, will he fix some of my relationship problems and is he going to help me get more money and is he going to find me a better job? Not not the genie in a lamp God, but just the God as he is, creator of the universe, in a relationship with him, with you. Do you want that or not? Because if you don't want that, nothing else really matters. Start there. Do you, do you want that God? Um because I think most people are going to figure out how to do what they want to do. So I think that's an important first, first question. But I think the ent- once you say, okay, so I want God, the, the, the step for you is to be baptized, to give your life to Christ and be immersed in water and, and be baptized. I, I think in this whole series on the body, we've been talking about um, how, how the body and the, the, the mind, soul, all these things kind of all work together and they're kind of enmeshed and, and, and all that. And I, and I think there's a lot of value in the fact that Jesus tells us to be baptized and it's, and it's a thing of the body. It's not, he doesn't say, follow me, mentally think about me and pray in your head to me and then you are my follower. Never says that. He doesn't say, pray me into your heart. Doesn't say that. Because, that's a very Western, you know, post enlightenment way of thinking about the world. Oh, I just, you know, I think this thing. It's a, it's a full body experience. He says, "Be immersed into me." Literally, go down into water and have someone someone lowers you into water, water, and you come back up, and and there's a transformation that occurs in there. It is a, it is a spiritual thing, It is a physical thing, it is a mental thing, it is all of that pulled together in. In, in baptism. Um, it, and so um, it, it requires our whole body to get into it. One of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, uh, he says it this way, First Peter chapter 3, "...for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit." Because they former, uh, uh, sorry, made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. <sighs> Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Okay, there's a lot in there. We're not going to hit it all, but let me just give you a quick, first of all, he starts going into this idea of what happened with Noah, and he talks about what Jesus had gone through, and he says he goes and preaches to these spirits that are in prison um, go google that later that is like that is a side quest, okay? We'll call that a side quest. it's optional. it's not the main storyline uh we can. I don't have time to get into all that right now, but what I do want you to catch is he he makes this comparison, said Noah gets into a boat, the earth floods, and God washes away the sins of the earth, and Noah is saved by getting into this boat, um, and he survives this. Uh, and in the same way, baptism functions like that. It's like getting into the boat with Jesus. It is, you go down in the water, your sins are washed away, and, and you, are, you are saved. And he's quick to say, it's not just a physical thing. He says, not the removal of dirt from the body, that's what he says. I'm not just talking about, you go get wet, and now you're clean. Sure, that can happen, but it's more than that. It's heart, body, mind, soul, all these things coming together together. When you get baptized physically, yes, it's physical, it's your body, but you are making an appeal to God and asking for him to cleanse you. So you're baptized physically, but in faith that God will do something. And that is the appeal. That text makes clear among many others in the New Testament that to be a follower of Jesus, you you need to get baptized. Why? Why do that physical thing? Because God gave us bodies. I hope that's clear in this whole series and And we used our full body to respond to God. So here's my challenge. If you haven't been baptized yet, this may be your moment to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, if you have not made that commitment to, I'm going to be immersed in water as as a part of my faith and commitment to follow Jesus. We had three people here at the church get baptized last weekend. I had two other people come tell me, yeah, I really need to do that. Like, and they're, they're ready. And I imagine there are others of you that have like, I've not done that. I should probably, yes, you should. This is an opportunity. Um, we can baptize you at, at 2810 here. Um, we do that after service. We can go down to the river. Um, water level's probably pretty high right now. But <laughs> your sins will go far away very quickly when you get baptized. It's, it's the, the speed of that water right now. Um, we, can, we can do whatever it takes and whenever. Um, but don't let that, don't let today go and go, yeah, I should do that one day and then not do it. Write it on your connection card. And when we take communion moment, you can put it in these boxes up front and say, this is, I'm, 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 uh, I'm making this commitment. And we will get together with you and talk it through. So be baptized. A lot of people say, I really should do that. And this is your chance not to put your money where your mouth is. This is your chance to put your body where your mouth is and go like, I'm going to actually physically this and for those of you who've been baptized to close out this series I just want to say let's let's be a little kinder to the first draft bodies that we have um in in our in the way we think about them in how we how we treat them um because God has given you that body for a reason and he's given you purpose and you're to use it for his glory and so do that um not just use your mind but use your body for his glory. And when things go badly for you, because inevitably they will at times in the seasons, remember that he gets it and he's walked through it before uh, on your behalf. Let's pray. God, thank you for the body, for what we've been talking about in this entire series. And I pray that this is a, a, just a really good learning for all of us from your word that um, who we are, why we are, why you made us the way you made us. Um, God, may we take this and apply it. May we be a little kinder and gentler with the bodies that we have, and may we use them to honor you. God, for those who have not been baptized, um, I pray that they step forward and take this step and uh, make uh, make make that commitment to to do what you asked, to do what your followers throughout history have always done. They have... Uh, they've they've said not just with their mouth or their heart or their mind, but with their bodies. They have said, "I'm in, and I'm, I want to be fully immersed in you, Lord." So I, I pray uh, more will step up for that as well. Um, God, you are uh, good to us. You're gracious to us. You forgive us when we blow it. Um, walk with us now, and uh, help help us as we uh, as we try to use these bodies well for your for your glory. In Jesus name, Amen.